Today's episode is awesome of the Ryan Russell Podcast and the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Shout out to State Farm real quick. I found the dry fit medium that you sent me and I can't wait to start wearing it uh, more regularly for some of the breakout videos. So Kyle, we put that off the checklist. Gear solved. All right. I'm not hearing anything from Kyle right now, so now I'm I'm worried. Well, they didn't, they didn't send me a dry fit, so I have nothing. Yeah, to that's why I could I could sense jealousy immediately. So let's just make sure everybody knows that, as always, on the Ringer Podcast Network, the Ryan Russillo Podcast is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all pro the real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs. Like a GM putting together their very own roster, you need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agency, award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service. State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. The plan for today. Jonathan Vilma. All-pro linebacker part of the Fox broadcast team. We're going to talk Steelers. We're going to talk Taysom Hill. We're going to do some chief stuff. He's going to tell us stories about playing middle linebacker um, or inside linebacker, depending on the alignment, and then ultimately why he decided to leave the Jets and go to the Saints. So that's going to be awesome. And then we have Bruce Feldman. He hit me up this morning and goes, hey, I have a whole thing on all the coaching carousel stuff, specifically Tom Herman potentially being out at Texas and would Urban Meyer replace him? Or if Urban Meyer is willing to replace Tom Herman, does that mean that Tom Herman is out? So that's incredible stuff. Feldman's as locked in as anyone. I'm telling you, that's why we have him on all the time. So let's do a little of that and a little life advice at the end as well by the way real quick did you watch roy jones jr mike tyson Kyle? no i didn't i I didn't want to pay for that yeah no i i get it 50 bucks is my thing will be like hey i'm definitely going to spend 50 bucks in a dumber way at some point but i can always look apply that 
Yeah, <laughs> I but I, do I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that with every potential purchase. Um, I understand, you know, for me, the 50 bucks, uh, it's it's not going to change the week. Yeah, I, now that yeah. I'm saying this out loud, I, I feel like a jerk, but I also think it's ridiculous for people to pretend that that's not the case sometimes. Like guys that are crushing it way more than me being like, oh, you know, I just time to time to start snipping coupons again. You're like, what are you talking? Twenty dollars for socks, so, right? Yeah, right. So I, I think it's actually worse. You sound more like a jerk when you lie about your circumstances to try to seem like super humble. You're like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Like, I read the trades. So yes, I'm I'm not trying to come off like as a jerk. Some people are going to think that that's too late. But the fifty bucks, I'll tell you what. Next time you want to order one of those, you let me know, and I'm going to Venmo you the fifty. But you didn't miss a ton. All right, that's you what didn't. I that's what I thought. Yeah, you didn't. But I don't know. It's funny. If he if one of the other guys had been knocked out in 30 seconds, people would have just been mad about it being a ripoff. And then it goes the distance and people were like, oh, that sucked. And we're like, wait, which which did you want? Honestly, the Nate Robinson, Jake Paul thing was more entertaining because the lead up to the whole thing, because here's exactly what happened. A lot of dudes, let's just say all of you wanted Jake Paul to get knocked out because you know what none of us like as adults, young YouTube stars or TikTok influencers like none of you. And I'm I'm with you, by the way. None of you are going. I love me some multi multi millionaire idiot in a hoodie and sweatpants that does these videos that generally suck all the time. And sometimes it just pops like it just it, it you know, whatever it, it works. Kids seem to love the hell out of it. But then Jake Paul decides to, I guess, I don't know, he and his brother, wrestlers. Would you know, Kyle? Would you know about this? I thought it was the other Jake Paul. Actually, somebody had to fix my description for Bill's podcast because I thought it was Logan Paul. So I don't, I, know, I don't know which one is which. I, I really don't. I just know that, let's face it, if you're of a certain age, north of that number, there's not a lot of you that's going, man, I, oh, he just, he just dropped a new vid. That's sick. But... <laughs> To be totally honest, if you're willing to put the money in and train and spend all this money on trainers and work your ass off to try to get and then actually get into a ring and fight other guys, like I have respect for you because you're actually going ahead and doing it. But because Nate Robinson's like, all right, I'm ready to throw these hands on you. Then there was just a lot of dudes in the media. I would say a lot of former athletes, people that I'm friends with, looking at their content leading up to that going, I can't wait to see Nate Robinson crush this motherfucker. Okay, that's that was the general theme of the lead up to that. And then Nate Robinson gets knocked all the way out. And by the way, they should have stopped the fight the first time. It was clear Nate, when he kept his left hand above his head, when the ref kept asking to touch gloves, you're like, okay, something's wrong. And Nate didn't really look like he wanted any more of it because when you haven't been hit for real in a long time, it really sucks. And you're like, oh, that's what this feels like. Or if it's never happened to you, you go, whoa, wait. This isn't that much. They talk differently to people. Than yeah, <laughs> right. And so then Nate gets absolutely dropped, and then he's a meme. And then I noticed the same people that couldn't wait for the YouTuber to get crushed were saying, Nate should have never been in there. This isn't fair. But like, wait, 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 wait. You can't, you, like, you can't now say this wasn't fair. He shouldn't have been in there. Like, look, he said something to Paul, and Paul was like, let's go ahead and fight. And he knocked him out. And I think anybody has to kind of respect this. But now it's turned into anybody that's remotely tough is like, all right, fight me next. <laughs> and Paul's like, I don't need any of you. I'm the one that's the attraction. I don't need to fight a hockey player. I don't need to fight this guy. Like, oh, I'm supposed to fight some 300-pound lineman now from the NFL because he's mad because Nate Robinson was good at dunking and I knocked him out. So, yeah, I didn't expect to start this podcast this way. I'm not declaring myself Team Jake Paul, but 
I think you have to admit begrudgingly, if that's where you're at, that you have to kind of respect the fact that, you know, he's look the first fight. I don't know who any of these guys are that he was going at, but that he knocked out Nate Robinson and it was pretty dominant. I mean, it was completely dominant and he backed it up. Like now we're supposed to think what of him? You're going to like him less. I think you even have to just a small sliver of you have has to say, all right, look, he got in the ring. Nate talked and he knocked him out. What so was the uh, the actual height difference there? Was it like a fo- at least a foot, right? Oh, uh, we're going to do height difference now. The reach was definitely an issue on the tail of the tape. But as far as weight, I think it was pretty close. Really? I don't know if we need to get IT on this. I don't really? Know. I don't right, know. So I now didn't watch a it. pro athlete who also was a terrific football player, he we're going to go, oh, the poor guy. I'm not doing that. Up. I'm just saying, like, it's one of those things you look at when you're looking at people that are fighting, right? It's like reach yeah. or weight. Well, it's no, height first. Yeah, I was going to say height because it usually has something to do with reach. That's the only reason I said I wasn't going to ask All you right. for the reach because I didn't expect you to know. I figured no, I, I think it was. Let's do. Let's do tail of the tape here. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm mad at myself. Um. Oh yeah, gee, I hadn't seen any of this new stuff. There's all sorts of new stuff out there now of what this has turned into. Um, but we're just gonna go ahead and and now freak out about it. Um. Okay. Yeah, I just found it. Paul weighed in at 189, and Robinson went 181. So for this kind of thing, uh, I don't I don't think you have to be within five pounds. So uh, <laughs> I agree. there you go. There you go. OK. All right. Let's start with uh, before we get to Vilma Feldman and life advice, we'll start with awards. <laughs> Normally, I would call this award the production meeting award and I would give it to Tony Romo. But we've done the production meeting award before that usually goes to a national crew that's on the broadcast. They've known the coach or a quarterback forever because they've done a million of their games. It's happened all the time, especially Bilichick and Brady and all that stuff that would happen back in the day where it's like, you know, Nance and another guy, Nance and Sims on the call. And they would be like, oh, they told us they were going to do that because the relationship is so close. And you understand, especially when it's a guy like Phil Sims, the respect that players and coaches, and they all have for each other that none of us would ever have because we didn't play the game. All right. And that makes a ton of sense. And my biggest pet peeve ever was when Peyton Manning's arm was completely shot at the end of his career in that last season. <laughs> When he won a Super Bowl, yes. And there would be national broadcasters that would basically take, and I hate the word narrative. The word narrative is whenever it's used, is followed by usually a terrible point being made. It's a rule. I'm, I'm just, I'm telling you right now, don't use the word. It's because every time it's, everyone does it. It's like, hey, well, the narrative is, and we're like, no, no, you should just say, I'm about to make a really shitty point, And here we go. So, uh, Everybody was on Peyton Manning's arm strength. And then national guys, because they like the guys and they're sometimes protective of them, they would, they would, be like, oh, Peyton Manning just threw a 13-yard pass. Arm looked fine there, and it used to drive me absolutely crazy. I did a big rant on it years ago on radio, and it ended up going viral, which was sick because my life changed right after that happened. So the reason I'm not giving it to Tony Romo is I don't think he's guilty of the production meeting deal here, even though he defended Brady in three hours of game time. <laughs> but let's back up, okay? Because l- let me let me be honest with you, all right? I've been watching the NFL now for over 35 years. And when I listen to Romo talk, I'm like, okay, people are getting upset. They're saying he's being protective of Brady. Again, production meeting theory in effect here. But what is Romo saying that's actually not true? Now, as I say, I've been watching the NFL over 35 years. Here's what I'm comfortable with. I know when a tackle probably isn't good. 
if it's the team that I watch all the time or a corner they can't cover unless they get away with PI and then they get called for PI all the time. And you're like, all right, that's that corner. Um, I can usually figure out over the course of a season or someone's career who I trust to make a catch and who I don't. I can notice a defensive lineman beating his man when I'm only looking for it, when I'm like, hey, make sure you lock on this defensive lineman. You do it with Aaron Donald. You do it with Khalil Mack. Um, you know, Miles Garrett is is a lot of fun to watch that way, but you really have to keep reminding yourself, unless you're a D lineman or an O lineman who always watch the line. But if you're generally like us, most of us that are watching, you have to look for it all the time. And even then, I can get really excited about thinking a D lineman's done something amazing when it could have just been that he wasn't accounted for and somebody screwed up a blocking assignment. Okay. Now, I also would say that I've watched Cam Newton every single snap this year because I still like to watch the Pats so I can talk to my friends and family about the Pats. It's the most amazing thing that I've ever seen to see a quarterback play a decade in this league and have no idea where pressure is coming from. So I feel comfortable on those things. But here's what I'm not comfortable with. I I don't really know what the hell's going on in the back end. I don't. I don't think you do either. I could tell you the difference between a cover two and a Tampa two. I could talk about that seam route, but I don't really know i probably heard somebody else say it and then i've said it a few different times um offensive line i almost never know what the hell's going on i mean i guess i can figure out when a running back blows a blows an assignment but a lot of times when i've thought i knew what happened then let's just admit jeff schwartz is on you within two seconds telling you you're wrong and you're like all right i guess i didn't know that as far as safeties switching up handing off receivers to each other those guys all just point at somebody else when they fuck up so i don't know who to believe out there um quarterbacks Sometimes interceptions, I think I know, but then there'll be other times where it's a quarterback who does a really good job instinctively of making sure that it looks like the route was wrong. And actually, Romo, ironically enough, was was a master at that. Uh, But there's just a lot of football that I think a lot of us never, ever understand. We just don't. It's hard to. It's hard to know what everybody's assignments. It's hard to know everybody's rules. It's hard to know who's got who blocking. And most of us have all been watching the sport a really long time, but I think a lot of us fall into the same category. So admitting these things and realizing that Romo was giving us a master class on offensive philosophies and then pushing back on this as if he's just protecting Brady is denying yourself knowledge. Okay? <laughs> so... Romo basically is like, hey, they're just not on the same page in this offense. And he talked first about the routes being inverted from what Brady was used to. More verticals, less underneath, where in New England they had more crossers and maybe one deep shot. The hot routes being um, too thin, needed them to be wider, right? Flatter. And that actually makes a little bit more sense because the throwing lane's a little bit easier when it's flat and you're making this quick decision against pressure. He brought up the two deep safety look that Brady sees more and more now and that Tampa doesn't run versus that look because the safeties aren't worried at all because they know that Tampa's taking all these deep shots. Romo also brought up the lack of pre-snap motion and how Brady, who's good as anyone pre-snap that we've ever seen, was doing way more stuff now post-snap with Tampa's offense. And then when they actually did run a motion that was like a real motion to try to figure out what the defense was in, Romo got so excited because he's they're actually like they're not doing this. And then he pointed out some Pat's looks where he goes, okay, this thing they're doing now with that Gronk route and what they did off of that, that's almost them coming up with something here because Brady's trying to desperately move the football. I like this. I like that I'm seeing this. That was after a couple Gronk catches. Um, then he got excited when they came out of a bunch set and goes, this is good. He goes, let's not just send everybody down the field. Let's get guys running at different angles, sideline to sideline, so that it's a little easier to defend these guys with some of these bunch combinations that they're coming out of. He was excited about the formation. Then they took a deep shot to Mike Evans after that down the right side, and Romo's like, look, the deep shots are great. You've got one-on-one, but everything has to work for this to always work out. And I'm sitting there going, 
this is crazy how good this is. And yet there was all sorts of pushback, again, from athletes that have just decided that Brady isn't as good. And now, look, Brady needs to be better. That stat about him missing 20 straight completions, 20 or more yards down the field is is on Brady. I mean, we could talk concepts. You could all these. Eventually, you're going to hit some of those shots. And they finally did once they put that stat up there. But that's bad. That's on him. But when Brady and Mike Evans are on the sideline, arguing, and they weren't even arguing. It was a really civil conversation about there was another hot route that Evans was to the left side. He was kind of like left slot, but he was very close to the line of scrimmage and where he was lined up. And then it, it just didn't work out, and Brady flung at him, and Evans hadn't turned around. I'll ask you this. Who do you think is right in that conversation? Brady, who has 20 years of this stuff, or Mike Evans, who was with Jameis Winston? What do you think the Jameis-Mike Evans hot route conversations were like on the sideline? So you may not like Brady, and yes, he was declining, and I'm not telling you he's the best. And by the way, it's not the arm strength. His arm is so much stronger now than I remember in New England. And even against Carolina, where they put up a huge number uh, for the offense, and he put up all these big numbers, he was zinging it in there. Like, I actually feel like he's throwing it too hard a handful of times. So it's not the arm. But when Romo is sharing all of this stuff with you, and he's not saying adjustment here, scheme here, they're not on the same page. He's actually saying real examples. And this happened a million times during this game. And people were going to push back on that. And I'd ask this. When you get upset about something, do you get upset because the thing isn't true or it's because you don't want it to be true? And again, I'm not telling you that Brady's been the best quarterback in the NFL this year. He's not. But it's a very simple thing with Tampa Bay. They have five losses. The Bears game where they had a ton of penalties, which was a primetime game, and you're like, how did they lose to the Bears? And the Bears were like the one seed in the NFC for an hour. Um, it might have been a week. They lost to the Saints in the rematch that they had lost in week one, and it was one of the worst single games we've ever seen from any team that's supposed to be good. They lost that Rams game. They had a Giants game that was in primetime where they won by only two points. And then the Chiefs game was kind of the late Sunday marquee one, and they were down. It was going to be 24 to nothing like that if it weren't for a Shaq Barrett strip. So Tampa is definitely guilty of the added, the weighted loss formula of the primetime games. But here's what, Tampa, here's what Tampa's going to do. They're going to win at least three or four more games. They've got Minnesota, Dallas, and Atlanta twice. So that'll get them to 10, maybe 11. They're going to make the playoffs. And maybe they figure all this stuff out. But Romo wasn't protecting a guy. Protecting a guy would have been just kind of saying stuff and, and not really giving us any depth. Romo gave us more depth in that broadcast than I've heard from other guys for their entire career. And that part isn't debatable. The next award is the Kendall Roy Award. I'm giving that one to Taysom Hill. Let's just put it this way. If Kendall Roy, Logan Roy's son, Succession, if you haven't watched Succession, I don't know what you do with television in general. But um, it's a great show. And Kendall is Logan's son, and he sort of runs the company, but he's basically like, his father just works him over mentally. And so, yes, it's nepotism. But Taysom Hill is not nepotism. But I'm just telling you, if Kendall Roy showed up to a different company and was like, hey, I think we could restructure. I think we could streamline, uh, um, perhaps expand uh, our bandwidth. Um, people love saying bandwidth now. I love whenever you're on a project with somebody, be like, I just don't have the bandwidth. And you're like, you just don't like the project. Um if Kendall Roy did those things, said those things, but then also was like, I do a ton of blow and maybe 50% responsible for a guy dying in a car accident, he probably wouldn't get a CEO's gig. I'm not saying Taysom Hill is all of those things, 
but he's just not good at being a quarterback. I don't know. I can't believe for the life of me that Sean Payton has signed off on this, what appears to be an experiment. The last two years, those stats, they mean nothing. Seven and six attempts. The last two games do mean something. 18-23, to 233 yards against Atlanta, the two rushing touchdowns. One of the completions looked like a fucking punt. Sorry to be so vicious about it, but I was like, what is that throw? Um, yesterday, two rushing touchdowns again, but he was 9-16 for 86 yards and a pick against the Denver team that, again, we found out had no quarterbacks, like didn't have any. We'll get to them in a second. Um, Peyton, and it doesn't matter. Like You can't go to the coach on this one. Hey, what'd you think? Hey, our guy sucks. This is a huge mistake. He's not going to say that. He's going to go, hey, considering the game plan and because they didn't have quarterbacks, like we're good with this. It's to win the game, and this is the way we want to go ahead and win it. Be like, wait, really? You wanted your quarterback to look like he shouldn't have the job for three hours? That's what you wanted out of this? Well, of course, it's not what you wanted, but what is he going to go ahead and say? But the other part that I just don't understand is that, I mean, this is somebody who got $21 million with $16 million guaranteed, and he's 30. This isn't a 23-year-old quarterback. It's a 30-year-old quarterback who's been in the league now, what, four years? And he's the second highest paid quarterback up in the league because Brissett was actually, when he got his $15 million extension, he was going to be the starter, and then they went with Philip Rivers. So Brissett was going to get that money because you're like, hey, $15 million for a starter, that's pretty good. But at least Brissett has played at least Brissett has shown um, maybe not to be the guy. He could be a guy. Marcus Mariota is the third highest paid one. He's about $9 million a year with Las Vegas. I've never been a big Mariota guy since he's been in the pros. I probably held out a little bit of hope like a lot of people early on. Hey, they're going to do some different things. Different people that I talked to at ESPN really, really loved him. And then eventually you're like, yeah, this guy's just not that good. He's not that good. I can't imagine he's ever going to be a long-term starter. But at least he was a starter. And Taysom Hill gets all this money over, over somebody like that? I, I just it it makes no sense, and I I don't know why anybody thinks like I I don't know how you defend it. I really I don't know how you defend it. I know how you defend it as a defense. You just go, all right, this guy can't throw. And now they're two and up with Taysom as the starter. The final award is the the bad clickbait headline award because the first time I read Denver Broncos safety Kareem Jackson quote, NFL making example of us by not moving game, I went, oh, man. And I prepared to be upset because throughout all of this is it's challenging to everyone. And yes, sometimes we should never compare ourselves with athletes and their workplace and all that dynamic. But you knew everybody that's trying to show up to work and keep their living going, there were going to be challenges and challenges that didn't always seem fair. And the fact that the Broncos had their entire quarterback room just not adhere to any of the policies, didn't wear masks after one positive test. So they were in contact with somebody in Driscoll who was high risk and they just screwed off and did it the wrong way. And look, if you don't believe me, Vic Fangio, their head coach, basically called out the entire quarterback room. So that left the Broncos without any quarterbacks. And all of a sudden we had Kendall playing quarterback. Um, and it was it was brutal for more than half of those snaps. 31-13 win for the Saints and Taysom Hill, as we just pointed out. But when I read that, I went, oh, here we go. This guy's going to complain. And it's not really what he did. Jackson made a really good point. He said, quote, I feel like maybe the game could have been moved, but at the same time, maybe the league was making an example of us as far as maybe not doing the things we needed to do in that particular room, that quarterback room. Obviously, the guys didn't follow the protocols. And for the NFL to see that, I guess they felt like they had to make an example. So at the end of the day, it is what it is. So when you read that, always a great lesson, headline versus full context, you go, you know what? Cream Jack's been in the league a long time, played at Alabama, and 
yes, I get their frustration. I get the frustration of you being on the Broncos coming out and being like, we have no chance to win this game. Can't they move it back a day? But when the NFL investigated this, they felt like a lot of the quarterbacks weren't forthcoming and then changed their information later on. Again, their own head coach called them out. And the NFL is going to say, if we're spending all of this money for private testing and having arguably the best testing policy for any multi-city corporation in America, which is, again, a quote from the NFL, but it's pretty much backed up. If we're going to do all of those things and you can't take it seriously, then we're supposed to cancel a game or move it because now you don't have a quarterback. As ridiculous as that whole thing was, you know, you watched, I watched because I wanted to see how bad it would look. Um, And it was bad. I mean, it was even worse than maybe you would think it would have been. They completed one pass the entire game. But I don't really blame the NFL here for going, yeah, you know what? We're trying. We're trying to keep this thing moving. And if this is the kind of buy-in that we're going to get from you guys, we're not going to do you any favors. So the headline, very misleading. I was glad that wasn't what it was because it wasn't really a guy complaining. It was a guy sort of saying, hey, it would have been nice if they could have done this. But I also understand why they weren't. And that's why just the use of example was pretty misleading. And that's why I'm just happy every now and then just click on the story. Okay, I know a lot of you have been waiting on this. The updated Bill Belichick, Tom Brady legacy rankings. For those of you that are new here every week, we update their decades uh, worth of resumes and we change it week to week because that's a good idea. And I'd like to make this complicated. I haven't always been the easiest to read on this one, but I think we got to put Bill in that one spot and um, we're going to put Tom in the two spot. And that's where I believe they were last week after some some weather stuff uh, or two weeks ago. I can't keep track. It moves around quite a bit. But at this point, Bill is uh, Bill seems like he's the guy that's responsible for, for Tom. Uh, he knew to not have Tom throw deep. Arians was like, no, we're going to throw deep all the time, even if that's not what you like to do. So maybe we should put Arians third in this whole thing. And the fact that Belichick's quarterback right now if he gets to 100 yards passing, that in itself is awesome. Cam was under 100. I think he had 79 yards on that last drive. Then he got hit out of bounds while he was – he actually got hit helmet to helmet. He was inbounds by Isaiah Simmons. Penalty, game-winning field goal, in the hunt. Pat's still alive, apparently don't need Brady. So Bill is in the one spot for the legacy rankings. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock. Hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand. It's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. 
You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Uh, he was one of the best linebackers when he played, and a guy I got to know at ESPN, and he's now with Fox, doing a great job, national broadcast and Sunday games is Jonathan Vilma. What's up, man? It's great to talk with you. Man, it's good good to see you, good to hear you again, Ryan. So it's fun. We had a yeah. lot of fun back back then. It was great, because my, my favorite thing about Vilma is like once he, you know, you kind of reminded me myself a little in that at first you're kind of like, all right, what's this guy's deal? And then... um you know, once you kind of loosened up with me, we, we, I loved having you on the show. I loved doing the longer shows that we were doing together and your storytelling was always terrific. So, uh, I'm so, so happy for you because this is a big step up doing, uh, doing NFL games. So as you prep for a game and I know you had Minnesota's comeback, which was actually pretty impressive considering how bad the special teams has been for that, that crew the last couple of weeks and, and costing themselves and they almost cost themselves again, but they come back and they win that game. We know the record isn't great, but can you see beyond record? If there are examples as you prep for a game and you say, hey, you know what? This team's actually heading in the right direction with a bad record. Or this team, despite the record, really isn't that good. Examples this year as we're more than halfway through it where you've been able to kind of figure out some stuff and prep that stood out to you. Yeah, the first thing I, I always look for is the guys running to the football. Defensively, I want to see our defensive linemen running to the football or safeties running, linebackers running to the ball. And uh, when I see that, that's the first sign that they're buying into the coaching. Uh, they're not running to the football. That tells me, you know, the plate breaks for 10 yards, 15 yards, whatever it is, and guys are loafing. The mindset is already there. The, the mindset of, oh, here we go again, or, oh, man, they don't, they don't trust what their coach is saying. So when I see that and I see guys running and, and trying to do the right things, that's when I know that they're, they're in the right direction regardless of the record. They're trying to do what the coach is asking of them, and they believe in what the coach is asking. That's the most important. When these players believe in what you're buying, what you're selling to them, if they're buying that. So, you know, I look at that, and then offensively, I start to look first for the unforced errors, false starts, illegal shifts, all of those delay of games, all of those things, to because that's telltale signs of are they buying into what coach is preaching, right? And so. When you have uh, offensive linemen just jumping off sides or, you know, missing blocks and things like that, that tells me that it's not processing. Whatever coach is trying to tell them, it's not processing. So um, if I see that there are not a lot of unforced errors offensively, the players are running hard defensively, then that tells me at, at a minimum they believe and like what the coach is saying. And then it's a matter of really just execution play calling, you know, drop pass here, turn over there. And, you know, that's going to happen throughout the league. And so I, I always look at that. And a great example is Detroit. They were, they lost 20 to nothing against the Panthers the week before. But the Panthers had two turnovers in the red zone, right? So, yeah, there, it was a good win. And all you talk about is a win. But those turnover, turnovers actually cost them this victory against the Vikings because Teddy Bridgewater turned it over again in the red zone uh, this week. So, you know, it, it's a very, very fragile league. And so I look at those little things to make sure that they're at least buying into what coaches preaching. 
Yeah, and I don't know you had your game, so I doubt you get to see much of that Denver debacle. But one of the things that I loved about Denver on defense was that those guys actually were still busting their ass. I, I was like, man, like that that actually shows me something. Did you notice with Detroit in your prep for Carolina that they had totally checked out on Patricia? Not all of them. Some of them checked out. But with that in that same vein, if one or two or three guys check out, it's just like the whole defense checking out, right? What, what's the difference? Yeah. And so it, it stinks because you do see some guys are not playing with, with great effort. You see other guys that are trying hard. But look, if you have a, a corner or safety on the left side of the field that's busting his chops, but the defensive end on the other side isn't, and the ball breaks that way, it's nothing he can do. And so, you know, it, it stinks to see that, um, especially now as we get later into the season, teams that know they're not going to make the playoffs, coaches – that know they're on the bubble, possibly getting fired. You're going to see a lot of that from uh, the – I always call it bad football. And you're going to see a lot of that down the stretch for some of these teams. Did you notice that in your – what was it, your second year with the Jets, Herms, last year? You guys went from 10-6 and six to 4-12. and 12. Yeah, first time I ever had experienced that. That was the craziest thing to How me. pissed off were you? Oh, man, I, I didn't want to talk to anybody. It was a – very long, miserable season. And I had never experienced, not just players now, there's coaches too that I checked out. I, I just never had been around that from high school ball to, you know, being successful high school ball and then obviously being successful at UM. You know, it was just guaranteed we're going to win. And, and Or if you're not going to win, well, the other team just better be that damn good because we're going to give them 110% and they're going to have to earn it. So, you know, we started playing some of these games and I have assistant coaches that, you know, are doing just a bare minimum. Uh, you know, they, they don't have all the answers for me when I'm asking questions about, you know, hey, coach, what if they do this? What if they do that? I was like, wow, I had never been around that. Never. And it was a very shocking experience. And I said, I never want to experience that again. So give me an example of a team that you've prepped for. Maybe they were on the other because you obviously haven't done all 32 teams. Uh, it's just not how the schedule works. So just making sure everybody understands that. But somebody that's jumped out at you this year that you go, okay, this team is locked in. They're doing the right things. And like, I would put them in that first tier of teams that can win a Super Bowl. Steelers, first one. So they're they, special to you. Right now, yes, they're, they're special to me. I watched, uh, I, I had the pleasure of calling two of their games this year. Uh, I watched them right before they faced Philly, and defensively, they were, man, they were good. Solid, they tackle, rush the passer, doing everything you want. And then offensively, you know, they they worked on the corrections for Ben Roethlisberger, right? The knock on Ben was that he would hold the ball a little too long. You see Ben actively trying to get the ball out. Bam, bam, flipping it out there. And they designed the offense to make sure that he doesn't have to make too many reads and hold on to the football. So, uh, the first part is the relationship of, okay, as a coach, how do I adjust my offense to the players? They did that with Ben Roethlisberger. Then the second part is Ben Roethlisberger buying into what coach is selling to him and then executing it offensively. And then the defense, like I said, they're running to the ball. They got athletes. They're physical. Everything that you want from a defense, I don't care if it's new school, old school, any, what you want from a defense is to be violent, physical, and take the ball away. That's what they're doing. So when I watched them the second time, it was interesting because they had played a horrible game against Dallas. Dallas really should have won the game. And I remember talking to some of the players and the coaches leading up to uh, that game against Cincinnati. People were, you know, kind of whispering that Cincinnati may have a chance to win. And I remember uh, specifically <clears throat> Mike 
Mike Tomlin saying, look, this is a grave, faceless opponent. All I care about is that we do our job. We stop the run like we're supposed to. We run the ball. We get after the quarterback. And I'll be damned if they didn't do exactly what he wanted them to do. And it was funny that, you know, they, they beat up on Cincy that day, but it really didn't matter. They were just so focused on their assignment, their job. And I said, you have a team that's like that and they buy in with some savvy veterans and, you know, Ben Roethlisberger leading the ship. It's good, man. They're going to be a tough out. You know, with all the different names up front, I'm, I'm reluctant because I'm afraid of getting it wrong, but I'll just, I'll bring it up. Is Hayward the most important guy on that front for Pittsburgh? As far as just playing or, you know, I, I, he doesn't get, he doesn't get the headlines and everything, but I feel like he dismantles things. Right, granted, when you're that close to the ball, we're talking about him being an interior defensive lineman, but I swear, not only just destroying kind of, you know, the things that you're trying to do at the closest point of the ball, and it's not like mesh point or anything like that. We just, we're both on the same page here, but that also that he can get out and chase as a defensive lineman, that his awareness on, on some of the other things when, when there's misdirection. I just feel like he makes all of these plays, and yet Watt is going to get a little bit more name recognition. Bud Dupree has moments. You know, Bush obviously was getting a lot of love as, as a younger player who was important. Um, they've even plugged in some other pieces that I, I think still make plays there, but I feel like Hayward's been this, this constant there that isn't talked about as much as some of the other guys. Yeah, Hayward, I, I equate him to a tree stump. He, he doesn't move, man. He's right there. He's Mr. Steady Eddie. And the reason I asked you about is he, the, is he just playing or the total package is because what I like the most about Hayward is when I see him holding guys accountable, you'll see him in the middle of the game telling guys, hey, you need to do this, or hey, that wasn't good enough. And at the same same vein, he'll celebrate and, and have fun with the guys. But when you see him on the sideline, yeah. how he addresses the team, when you see him when he's playing, you know, those are the intangibles that, yeah, you may get a couple years from now a better player, but are you going to get the same leader? Are you going to get this guy that's completely unselfish and is really holding everyone accountable? And, you know, that's what goes – unnoticed a lot of times on these teams when you're like oh okay you know out with the old in with the new and you're like you know it's just not that simple it's not that cut and dry and so when you look at the Steelers a lot of times they carried some veterans that yeah look they're past their prime and maybe they were a year or two past when they should have been playing but because they were so good at holding the young guys accountable and having a standard and pride that's why those Steelers teams were still, they were pretty good. And then now you bring these young guys along, and then now they understand what the culture is. And when you keep that culture and develop the culture with guys like Cam Hayward, you can't put a price tag on that, man. That's that's your brand. The thing of the Steelers, ever since I've been watching ball, you've been watching ball, Steelers, uh, you, you think of them, Patriots, I mean, there's not too many other teams where they have literally solidified themselves with the culture and a brand for not just a decade. We're talking decades now of, of dominance. Let's talk Chiefs because I think every Steelers conversation immediately goes, okay, can they keep up with the Chiefs? And even when you feel like you contain the Chiefs for even a quarter, it's like, okay, but they can still put up 17 like that, which we've seen. Their first quarter against Tampa was ridiculous. I don't know if it's just because they screwed up with single coverage against Hill. That's what everybody seemed to say. But have you noticed anything that you would, after a few years of this Mahomes thing, or maybe the Raiders games where Oakland gets one, excuse me, Vegas gets one, and then it was competitive in the, in the rematch. Have you noticed anything defense has been able to do 
that like is giving anyone a better chance of even con- trying to contain Mahomes at this point? Haven't seen anything. Uh, this is an offense. Uh, remember the greatest show on turf with the Rams, uh, Marshall Falk, Isaac Bruce, uh, Kurt Warner was a quarterback, Holt. and he was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Torrey Holt. This was a, an offense where you couldn't slow him down with just scheme. And the way the Patriots slowed him down was being physical. But that physicality has been taken away from just the rules, the changing of the rules uh, the, in the NFL. So, you know, now when you're asking defenders, you know, they have these crossing routes with Tariq Hill and Travis Kelsey and all that, you can't touch it, right? And what happened in the, in the Super Bowl was the Patriots were able to get bodies on them and, and you know, chuck them and hit them and bump them and knock them off their route. And so you, when you can't do that defensively, it's almost impossible when you have you know pro bowler tight end, pro bowler receiver, all-world quarterback, offensive line's good. Oh, by the way, two pro bowlers at running back. Like, how are you supposed to stop them if you can't be physical with them, right, and, and knock off their timing? So what I see happening is you got to just have patience. And what I mean by patience is if you stay in cover two, they're going to run the ball for a lot of yards. And they're still going to pass the ball. But you have to buy into, okay, at least we're going to slow the game down, keep everything in front of us. So long as we keep it in front of us and they earn it, then we have ourselves a chance in the fourth quarter and see where, you know, see where the chips lie at, at the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, that's the craziest thing is that game was almost like 24 nothing, And then by the end of it, you're going, Tampa still has a chance here. And I think that's that's what I noticed. This is probably a bad question to ask you. I've had this theory about football, maybe even more so in college football. Better team comes in, goes right down the field twice. It's 14 nothing, And then it's hard to keep everybody as engaged the next 45 minutes of real game time. And, you know, it can be as simple as, hey, when you only have 12 possessions, you know, this, this thing's become a lot closer. But why is it you think it's, it's so hard to maintain that? This is a hard sport. We get that. It's the easiest way to describe football. But even with that Tampa and Kansas City thing, you could probably imagine Kansas City's like, are you serious? Like Tyreek Hill has 200 plus yards in the first quarter. Like this, there's just no way. It doesn't seem like human nature allows you to stay as engaged. And maybe that's why coaches just yell at you players all the time. No, you know, Ryan, I, I think it's less about the um, engagement and it's more about the way the NFL has been designed. And, you know, you got to credit the owners. They've done a tremendous job of kind of tweaking and perfecting the way that the NFL is structured, you know, and, and I say that because the talent level, if there's just a pool of talent level from the best team to the worst team, everyone is pretty much the same talent wise. You have some outliers like Mahomes is an outlier. Uh, you have an outlier in uh, give me Aaron Donald, right? You know, some of these guys are outliers, but for the most part, everyone has roughly the same amount of talent. Then it's just a matter of, Okay, how hard do they play? What scheme do you play? What's the design of your offense, defense? And then the right play calling, right? And, and then all the intangibles of the players, et cetera. So when I see a score that's, uh, you know, 14 nothing so quickly, the first thing we, which you just said, and which we all saw was, why are you playing man on Tariq Hill, right? To, to stop. That's just stupid, right? So it's not. And it because, wasn't just man, it was like without safety help on a few of those, right? Yeah, we just, just go, it, I mean, Hello. 
Yeah, exactly. So, and I love uh, bowls too. That's the other thing that kind of blew me. Yeah, I'm a like, great D coordinator. And, oh, yeah. and I love his demeanor. I loved him when he was at the Jets. I loved what yeah. he did throughout that thing being a mess. And I don't like sitting at home going, hey, why is Todd Bowles? Like, obviously, they tried something. Maybe they thought they'd get away with holding up. And you're like, no, Mahomes. Yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> and the best part <laughs> is Mahomes is almost like, are you kidding me? And then makes the throw even more difficult by just screwing around. And yeah. for every, him, arm angle doesn't matter. He's got every single release point down. But he's almost just whipping it up there going, all right, whatever. Like, you're going to yeah, do I this. Mean, you guys are going to run this stupid defense. And sure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expose you. But that that's the point, right? We're, we're not saying that, oh, the Steelers are just so much more talented than the Bucs. And then now they lost interest. What we're saying is, Hey, Steelers, I mean, not Steelers, Bucks. Yeah, right, Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, uh, more talented than Chiefs, right. I'm like, uh, everyone's like, hello, Buccaneers defense, change your play calling, right? Then they change the play calling. All of a sudden, they finally find themselves having a chance to get into the game. So, you know, that's where I look at it and say, it's not necessarily that Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes, just like, oh, yeah, JV team, the Bucks are JV team. We're just going to roll over them. And then they kind of just flop around and then they squeak out a victory. It's that the Bucks have some good talent. They just needed to change up what they were doing as far as their play call. I, I think that, it happens in college. A lot. You're, you're going to have to at least concede. Like in college, it definitely happens. <laughs> yeah. You guys come out of the tunnel I, I, and you go, okay. okay, this team sucks. And then next I thing you know, it's 17-7. And you go, wait, what happened? Like what happened? What I will concede right. that. And that had been okay. a part of a couple of those games. But we're just like, what are we doing? Yeah, right. I, I give you that one. Right. Give you you're that. not getting off blocks. You're not chasing everything down. So, all right, that's fine. I, I won't bring it up for the pros again. Okay, let's talk about your Saints because as much as the Jets, uh, you know, they, they mean a lot to you, I always feel like you're more of a Saints guy. I don't know if that's fair or not. It's just always the vibe I've gotten in, in talking with you. Like, you take a little bit more pride in the Saints. By the way, Ryan, where did I win the Super Bowl? Right, exactly. And what was the reason you bounced? Where you just went like, all right, we're, we're on another 4-12 and team? Like what happened when you decided to leave New York and all the different options so you had? So it it was uh, you know it was very interesting at the time. I'll first start off by saying I thought I was going to be a lifer uh, with New York. Uh, That's what I everyone ran, says. I, I, I listen. I, I really thought I was going to end my career there. I enjoyed it. Loved New York. And uh, my my biggest thing being a competitor, I wanted to I wanted to beat the Patriots. I really wanted to beat the Patriots like for a playoff spot and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, Mangini comes in and we switched to 3-4 and it was really, it wasn't so much 3-4, it was a style 3-4 that we were playing. And, you know, it was just like, dude, we weren't that bad of a defense under her. Our record was bad. We were 4-12, we were but we were still pretty salty defensively. So you, you, as a coach, I always felt like coaches are there to put the players in the best position possible. But unfortunately, it was the other way around where, Mangini comes in and is like, I'm going to run my defense and I'm just going to bring players in to run what I want to run. And it's like, okay, if you want to do that, which is fine, then that's when I decided, well, it's best for me to then part ways, right? Because this is clearly not going to work. I'm 230 pounds soaking wet and you have me like butting up against guards 24 times a game. So, uh, yeah. That was, Did that you talk happening. to Mangini about it? Did you? Did you no, say I like, didn't, oh, oh, if I talk, yeah, you know, we asked them when I say myself um, at the time, Sean Ellis, Dwayne Robertson, like, there were a lot of us that are like, hey, coach, we didn't even ask for 4-3. We're just like, can you stunt us? You know, like do D-line games, do linebacker stunts. Like, 
do something to help us not just sit there and just take it. And we're like, can you just anything like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at running. So if you just let me run, <laughs> I, I might be able to make a play over here. Right. OK, so, but is that uh, is that because of Mangini? Because when you go and play New England, if you play in the edge there, like don't expect to get sacks because it is everything. So let's keep it in front of us, you know, hold it up, make some linebackers, make some plays. But they don't want to get real creative. They're not running a ton of stunts. They're not like they are pretty straightforward. So I imagine that's what Mangini was doing because that's what Belichick was doing. Exactly what he was doing. Okay. But also think about who did who did Bill Belichick have? Right. You you have uh, Richard Seymour. Right, Vince Wilford, right, Teddy Bruschi. You, you, you had these guys that were. Yeah, Ty Warren was really it. good too. Yeah, Ty Warren. Yeah, yeah, guys that were built for this, right? So I'm like, it, and so I always figured. Again, this is back then. I was young, but I figured, all right, if Mangini's coming in, he's going to see that. Hey, we're pretty good defensively. Let's work a kind of like a hybrid scheme and and figure that out and go from there. You know, a great example going back to the Steelers and Mike Tomlin. Tomlin wasn't a 3-4 guy. Tomlin was a 4-3 guy through and through. And then he comes over to the Steelers and is like, eh, they're pretty good. <laughs> why, why am I going to change this? They're, they're pretty salty, right? Keeps the coordinator and is like, okay, I can learn this. This is, this is legit. And then he goes and gets guys that fit in that system. That's good coaching. So when you almost left, where else did you almost go? Oh. It was. It came down to Detroit and New Orleans, and it was uh, Rob Marinelli was the head coach at the time, who I think is a tremendous defensive coordinator. Clearly, wasn't working out as a head coach, and I remember going up there and it was snowing, and I was like, "Oh no, I I can't do this." I know it's cold in New York, but at least you have New York City, right? And I'm just like. Oh, I, you know, and, you know, he gives me a tour of everything. And I love what Rob was preaching, man. Rob Marinelli, he'll get you fired up. But I was just like, I can't see myself living here. Like, this is horrible. So uh, are you saying I, that to him or are you just pretending no, like, thanks for the not. hat no. and this is awesome? Yeah. And, and you know, to be honest, had, had I gone there, I'm going to make the most of it. But I really did not want to go there. So uh, we get on the flight I right before I took off. I remember telling my agent, I was like, uh, hey, uh, just tell, just do whatever you got to do to send me over to New Orleans uh, if you can. Whatever. I, I don't know how this stuff works. Just whatever you got to do, man, to send me to New Orleans. So uh, I land, and I remember getting a, a – he left, actually left a voicemail, voice message, and I was like, uh-oh. All right, here we go. So I listened to a voicemail. as I called me back. I called him, and uh, he's like, yeah, you're going to go to the Saints. So I was like, whew, all right. Uh, you know, I can, I can work with that. That was good. Did Belichick, were you the guy after Jets games where he would go up to shake your hand? Because that's like the big honor, right? When Belichick goes and seeks you out. So he did not seek me out. It was very interesting. He didn't seek me out. Well, let me backtrack for a second. He comes down to Miami. He works myself and DJ Williams out. Yeah. And like it, this was like a legit workout, man. We went for like an hour and a half. And we're going hard as hell against each other because, you know, you don't want to show you're playing favorites or being soft on your boy or anything like that. And as soon as we were done, he doesn't say thank you. He doesn't say, you know, good job, good work. He just goes, okay, <laughs> and I walked off. So me and DJ are just like, what happened? 
right? So that that was the first experience. And then he goes and drafts my boy Vince Wilfork, right? So I was like, what what was that all about? So never sought me out, Patriots, Jets, Patriots when we played, never sought me out. And it wasn't until we played when I was with the Saints and he comes down, it was a Monday night football game and we took it to him. And it wasn't until that game that he comes, seeks me out and is just like, he doesn't say like, hey, good game or anything like that. He just comes over, shakes my hand. He's like, I'm so glad you're out of New York. I was like, okay. He's like, no, I'm serious. I'm so glad you're out of New York. You're a hell of a player. And I'm glad you're over here with the Saints. I was like, all right, cool. So I guess that was, that was uh, my one story with uh, Belichick seeking me out. Okay, yeah, but that's that's like another level of confirmation. So Taysom Hill. I've watched the third down plays. I've I've watched the the zone reads. I've watched when Breeze comes off in the red zone and gone whatever. You can't make anything out of the bit stats that he had the two previous seasons. As I mentioned at the top, I've watched these two games. Their wins. He might be borderline terrible, Bill. I I do not I do not get this at all. Um, I understand Jameis has turned the ball over a little bit. I don't understand the money. I don't understand the investment. I don't understand. Um, like I'm not even going to give Peyton a hard time about some of the quotes again, as I mentioned at the top of this, but I can't believe that this is a real thing with a franchise that has been a really good franchise. I mean, this is, this has been a standard. This has been one of those franchises that you want to be more like, and depending on what happens with breeze, if he's even available, um, I thought this team had a chance to win a super bowl with Taysom. I I'm, I don't care what the record or seed ends up being. I actually think it's way worse than people are talking about. So I cannot defend Taysom. I haven't watched enough film on him yet. Um, and I say that because how the Fox and how it gets, how it's yeah, set up, right. I just dive in, right? I just dive into whatever teams I'm calling. So uh, from the little that I know, and I, I can give you a better answer down the road, but from the little that, little that I know, I view this as, okay, we're trying to find out about Taysom Hill. Right. And like you said, past two years prior to that, gimmicky stuff. Maybe he comes in, throws maybe one pass, whatever. Now we really get to find out who he is. Right. Just like last year. Right. Everyone wanted to figure out who is Teddy Bridgewater. Is Teddy Bridgewater just going to hand the ball off 40 times a game or can he really lead a team and lead an offensive victory? And fortunately, they found out the, the latter, that he is a legitimate quarterback and he played well. And then now he's playing well for the Panthers. So. The next, it's, it's now a year later, the next player is Taysom Hill. All right, who is Taysom Hill? Is he just a gimmicky guy, or can he be a legitimate quarterback in the NFL and lead an offense to victories? Right now, what you're telling me is no. It sounds like a resounding no. It's a no for me. So that's fine, right? At, at least now you know, right? Because now it, it, when, let's say, Drew leaves after this year. Yeah, and I don't like yeah. to be that dismissive of a guy that's only had two starts. But right. it's just, it really, it reminds me of the Tebow stuff where we're like, hey, he won again, but yeah. No. So, well, th- so that's, that's, that's great because when you think about it now, if Drew leaves after this year, yep. you go into next year, and now there's no more rumblings from the fans, right? The fans, oh, taste him, taste him, put him in, taste him. He does really well, blah, blah, blah. Now it's if, if Jameis Winston stays and wins the starting job, everyone's going to be like, mm, yeah, I can see why. 
You, you know what I mean? They can be like, well, if you go back to those last, you know, four games last year, and from what you're telling me, Taysom stunk it up, and you're like, all right, there's no more of this real battle, battle, quarterback battle to speak of. So, you know, I can see Sean really wanted to have a really good assessment of who is Taysom Hill, is he the future? Uh, from what you're telling me, it sounds like no, but fortunately they're still winning games while while we're finding out that it's a no. Yeah, but the rest of the roster, or the, excuse me, the rest of the schedule is going to have teams that have quarterbacks. Hey, they and, still uh, have Jameis <laughs> now. Look, and like you said, everyone – Look, I don't love Jameis, but I'd play Jameis at this point. But you know, Here, Jameis here's the thing about Jameis, right? You, you, everyone forgets he threw for five thousand oh, no. yards. All of us remember. We just know that. <laughs> we just know that there was some other stuff that was going on with the yeah. interceptions. I mean, I, it's well, not a bad backup to have. No, I mean, look, he's the third stringer. That's a great third stringer. Yeah. Like I said at the top, I'm really proud of you, and you know, I'm going to share this. You didn't know I was going to say this, but I'm going to share this because you told us this before we started taping it, is that you were a couple minutes late only because you were already watching your broadcast from yesterday to see how you can improve. And I'm telling you, as somebody who's worked with a million guys that have played, uh, Vilma is is the opposite of so many ex-athletes in this profession where a lot of guys have done the work on the field. They show up. Hey, when do I show up? When do I talk? Okay, cool. I'm out. And Vilma watches all of this film, and he's even watching film of himself now to improve on the Fox broadcast, which is exactly who you are as a guy. And it's the least surprising, and I, I can't wait to see where this all goes for you, man. So thanks again. I, I appreciate that, Ryan. Thanks, bro. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra. An appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. A good time of year to do this is the college football regular season is winding down, and it, it feels somewhat uneventful, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, Bruce Feldman, one of my favorite guys. I talk to you, have him on all the time. The Athletic, Fox Sports as well, and uh, had a piece out on The Athletic today, basically taking a look at all the names that we need to know for potential replacements uh, as the coaching carousel will pick up here. More guys are going to lose their jobs. So we start in Texas and we start with Urban Meyer because the Tom Herman thing has not worked out. Bruce, I'll ask a follow-up about that. But first, as you understand it today, and as we all know, it's somebody you work with, Urban. And when you said like, hey, he's 56 years old in your piece, I was like, man, that's another good reminder that despite the health thing, we're not talking about an older coach here. Like, what's the best way to describe him potentially being interested or Texas wanting to go in that direction and move on from Herman? 
Well, I definitely think that Texas has gotten to the point, from my understanding, the UT brass is prepared to move on from Tom Herman. Uh, and I know we can talk about that in a minute more, but it just it's just not working out. I mean, the recruiting is, is backsliding. It's just been a lot of disappointment, right? And so from the Urban Meyer piece of this, it's interesting. Now, obviously, full disclosure, I work with him on the big noon kickoff show at Fox. And um, look, the health concerns that he had uh, when he stepped away from Ohio State, those are real. It's not like those go away. And so I think that is definitely something that could that will still factor into his decision. But on one hand, I think, look, Urban sees Fox has the Big 12. He, you know, he'd be blind and not think, wow, the Big 12 is there for the taking right now. I mean, it's not a great league. Yes, Oklahoma has Lincoln Riley, but they've struggled this year. And it's not like they're competing at the Alabama level. And I think if you're Urban Meyer, you look at that, go, Oof. you know, the guy who who worked under me couldn't get it done. But. I probably could. I'm sure I could. You know, that kind of thing. And I think those coaches, and you know this, Ryan, it's like those guys, especially the ones who are the ultimate competitors and like just manic about it, where they live it, you know, every, basically every moment of the week for them is fourth and inches. That's Urban Meyer. Those guys, it's hard for them to shut that off. You know, it just kind of comes back. Now, having said all that, like Urban is really really into doing the tv show like he is more engaged in our big noon show than any analyst i've ever worked with on any other show doing tv um like he really cares about his segment he cares about the show he's invested in it and i think on on that part i think he very much is into it and i think he appreciates it hey i have a he sees the reaction that people watch him and they, they see his perspective and he has a big voice now on that. And so, you know, on one hand, I think there's probably time during the week where he sits back and looks and goes, yeah, there's not that many great jobs, but that could be a great job. And, you know, I'm a coach at heart. And then there's, I'm sure there's other days of the week where he's like, this TV situation is not bad. And I'm into it and I know I'm good at it. And I know that we're building something here. And, you know, I I think all that stuff, I think, makes it complicated, right? I mean, I don't think this is just Texas can throw a ton of money at at Urban Meyer. So that's going to tempt him. I just think it's the chance to go, hey, I've already won three national titles. I've won two in two different conferences. I could, you know, I truly believe I could win one, keep winning. But at the same time, you know, he did walk away from a really good job because of health reasons. And those health reasons are still there. Yeah, I, this is pretty common, though, that when the health issues are, are more pronounced during the activities that make them more pronounced, meaning the stress of being a coach, it's really easy to go, oh, hey, I actually feel better now. It's like, well, okay, is it because you're better or is it because you're just not coaching? And so that's the hard part. None of us can speak for Urban on that one. Um, but, you know, it's it's also the boosters aren't going to care. They're like if he wants to coach, it's Urban Meyer. Like I'm not to say that they're insensitive, but I'm basically saying like that's how people work. They're just going to go if Urban wants his job. So you believe Herman is out then? What what what's going on there? How did this happen? Because the one thing about her, it's not like Herman was the hot coordinator. He went to Houston, did it in the state, and and showed okay now he can do it as a head coach. I'm I'm really surprised that the Herman thing has not worked out. Well, yeah, I'm I'm surprised that it is it is really fizzled 
as well. Now, here's how I would frame it is the people who are the decision makers there are prepared to move on. Now, the question is, if they know they can get Urban Meyer, I think that's it's a no brainer for them. If they can't get Urban Meyer, I know that from people have talked to me, Chris Del Conte, the AD, really likes James Franklin. And is that a move they make? After you start getting, I think this is, this is a little bit like where USC was. It's also a little bit like where Michigan is. If you do not have the slam dunk hire guy, then you know, do you make the change if there's not somebody you're 100% on can come in there and you think really elevate the program? Now with Herman, a year ago, uh, my crew at midseason did a game. They were about to play TCU and they had already been struggling a little bit. And they were really bad on defense and offense was carrying them. And I remember talking to people around the program and the vibe I got was that, you know, in, in layman's terms, it was like, they're over him. It was almost like Tom's message was had had fallen kind of on deaf ears. I think there was a lot of people there who just felt like, all right, I don't know really what the identity here is. And they were struggling with that. And usually when you hear that, it's hard to get it back. Well, they ended up losing that game. And really, it was a bad game for Sam Ellinger. It was his first bad game of the year. He gets picked off four times at TCU. And, um, you know, it just was a, just kind of a dud a year. And Herman ends up firing almost the whole staff, including a bunch of those guys who helped, you know, helped him at Houston, who he brought with him from Houston. And look, it's not to say that that the guys he hired in place of the ones he fired are are aren't good coaches, but for, you know, I think right now, I think people look at it and go, "There's been a lot of games that they've won that have been toss-up games." There's also been like the game that they lost Friday against Iowa State. It's a good team. Matt Campbell's a great coach. And they lost that game. You know, they've just been in so many 50-50 games where you're like, you're Texas. You're the team with all these four and five-star guys. You should be better than this right now. It's year four. And by the way, don't think that Jimbo Fisher, what's going on at College Station, where he's now got that program trending upward and they're recruiting really well, that only makes it harder on Tom Herman. So I, I think it's just a case where if you're Texas, I think it's hard to get into, well, if we keep him for year five, even though year four, it's in a pandemic and we'd have to pay him just, just Tom, the piece of it of Tom Herman is 15 plus million dollars. I think Texas still knows if we still have him as the head coach in 2021, it's not going to make it any easier to recruit. And um, you don't have Sam Ellinger there who has been really a, the one stabilizing force for this program. No, he's not. Um, you know, no, Sam Ellinger isn't, isn't Trevor Lawrence, but he's a very good college quarterback and he's a really good leader. And without him, I think things would be even worse. Well, if you didn't have Ellinger, I, I can't even fathom what that team would be like, because I mean, he's tough. He balls out. I'm not even saying like he has some bad games from a passing standpoint, then he finds a way to like even keep him in the game. Okay. By the way, real quick on this, before we jump to a couple other guys, is it safe to assume that the urban Tom Herman relationship is such that urban doesn't care if like he, he's not to the point where he would say, well, you know, if, if it were somebody else, I'd make sure Texas knew I was available. But since it's Tom, I don't want him to lose my job. Uh, I don't think the relationship is a good relationship. Uh, let's right. categorize it that now uh, Tom Herman's defensive coordinator is Chris Ash, who yep. was urban's defensive coordinator. Urban really respects Chris Ash a lot as a coach and as a person. Um, so I don't think, I don't think urban's way is to jump in and just completely go on 
you know, go out there and, and do that. But I but he wouldn't he, he's not going to potentially say, hey, I can't do that because of my guy, Tom, is is what we're, we're no, this is not fun. Yeah, right. this is not Lincoln Riley going. I'm not taking the East Carolina job because I love Ruffin McNeil situation. <laughs> OK, all right. Good. Good analogy. And shout out to ECU. All right. Um, the Franklin part of this, as you write in your piece, I mean, the most ridiculous thing you could do uh, is to be dismissive of Franklin because of the season they're having this year. Um, it, it hasn't impacted uh, the desire, I think, for whether – I mean, USC could win the Pac-12 and people are going to want to play Helton out of L.A., which I've learned here firsthand. Um, you mentioned Texas and the interest there. What about Franklin's interest leaving Penn State? Like, does he feel like, you know what, maybe I should get out of here after this kind of season? Like, well, how do you sense his his decision-making process with what could be available? Yeah, I don't think there's a big rush for him to to bolt from, from Penn State. I mean, he's recruited there well, and I think he has, from everything I've heard, he's got a good relationship with leadership there, and he's from Pennsylvania. Um, so I don't know if he how tempted he would be if, if Chris Del Conte and, and Texas came after him very hard. Um, I, I mean, it's Texas. It is a really big job. The thing that you always wonder about, especially for a coach who's been there for a while, and now James Franklin's been at Penn State for a while, is do, do people start to get stale? Um, and would that be a situation that would would be intriguing to him? I mean, it's very... You just don't see a lot of guys... Like Brian Kelly, to me, is is an exception right now where he's somebody who has yet to win a national title. He's at a really high profile school and he's, he's getting better while he's there. Cause he's, you know, he had a really bad year. I think it was three or four years ago. He changed a bunch of stuff and they're a legit playoff team. And it doesn't seem like the fan base feels worse about him now than they did five years ago. I think they get it. I think they know it's not the easiest job and he is, he is doing well there. But I think for the most part, you see it, whether it's like Mark Rick at Georgia. I mean, it just happens where anytime or almost every time a, a guy is at a high profile school and they've had success early, but then it's almost like feels like it plateaus or maybe takes a step back. People are like, yeah, they get it's it's just like they get almost get a little tired of it. And I'm not saying James Franklin feels that way. And I'm not for sure saying the Penn State fan base feels that way. But I think it's if if Texas comes after him, I think he would be probably foolish not to at least listen. What about Hugh Freeze? Because that's that's the hire where I guess if you're Tennessee or if you're South Carolina, you just go. And even the Tennessee thing still feels I don't I know you can plug in some of the, the holes there. I mean, Tennessee felt like a month ago, maybe six weeks ago is a better way to frame it. You're like, hey, this is heading in the right direction. So to move off of Pruitt this fast still feels fast, but you never know in the SEC. Auburn, you know, the Iron Bowl to me was not surprising whatsoever other than Gus usually finds a way at home. Um, and that one was obviously in Tuscaloosa. So I'm rambling a bit here, but my point is like somebody's going to hire Hugh again. And Hugh, I would have a, higher, a harder time hiring than, than some of the other guys that have, that have run astray, I would say. Uh, you know, with him... He, he wins games. He's a really good offensive coach. He's a terrific play caller. Um, he is. He's all of those things. He's all of those things. And if you're in the SEC and it, the most important thing is to win games because you are committed to playing football at the highest level, if you told me Hugh Freeze was going to be the head coach at Tennessee next year, I would say at the latest by 2022, 
Tennessee is a top 15 team. Like Hugh Freeze is going to go, Hugh Freeze beat Nick Saban back to back years. Nobody does that, especially at a place like Ole Miss, which is like, you know, has one of the you know worst stadiums in the conference and just doesn't have the same resources that the rest of them do. And you can say, you know, yes, he had a really ugly exit um, from Ole Miss in the, in the escort service scandal. But he ended up losing probably 20, a $20 million deal in the process. So I, I don't think this is a case where it's like, you know, a decision maker is going to go, okay, or we're not trying to, you know, this is not going to come with like the Art Riles level of baggage of what happened at Baylor. You're talking about uh, something different. But having said that, uh, you know, Tennessee, it's year three under Jeremy Pruitt. And it's year three in a pandemic, which to me is like, I don't know, that seems like like too soon to pull the plug. I mean, if you're Phil Fulmer. It seems way too soon. Yeah, Pruitt, you're the that- guy. You're This is the guy you went to went to the mat for it's only year three look do i if you ask me who do i think is a much better coach who has a better chance of win winning hugh freeze or jeremy pruitt i'm a hundred percent confident as hugh freeze but you put you already jumped down this road with with jeremy pruitt you got to give him more time now with auburn i mean it feels like every other year gus is on the hot seat it's going to cost a fortune because he is right yeah then then they pay him and a little like we spoke about before, where it's the guy who's been there a while and they are just over it. Whereas, you know, he had them on the brink of a national title like two years in. They lost to Florida State and Jameis at the end of the game. And otherwise, there's been some really good moments and, and there's been some not so great moments. But, you know, if I'm Auburn, I'm looking, okay, I'm not worried about Vandy hiring anybody. Um, I'm, I'm looking at South Carolina. I know freeze. I know Sark. I know Billy Napier guys though. They like, um, who of that pool do I like? I don't see Sark ever going to Auburn. I think he's, you know, if he's going to coach anywhere in the state of Alabama, he's going to ride it out and see if he can be the next guy for Saban. But if I look at freeze, who's a definite sec guy. And I look at Billy Napier who turned down some pretty, some decent, uh, sec job opportunities. I can see Billy Napier going, hmm, I have a better chance of winning at Auburn than I would at South Carolina. And the question is, do the leadership and it's, it's out at Auburn, it's, it's messy. Cause it's not just like an AD's decision. There's a lot of money people involved. Right. It's like, you know, does Auburn look and go, well, Tennessee may make a move to get Hugh free. So maybe we need to hustle or Billy, you know, it's just a lot of weird little inter interconnected politics in those jobs. If you ask me, I think Tennessee probably holds for another year just because they realize it's probably the wrong thing to pull the plug so soon, but it's the SEC. I mean, we just saw South Carolina basically eat up $15 million to part ways in a pandemic with Will Muschamp. So all bets are off. I want to do two more names here. Um, By the way, though, real quick, though, did you just hint it? Maybe Sark would just ride it out as the OC until Saban eventually wants to retire? It wouldn't shock me. I mean, there's people there who really respect Sark. He's done a really good job as a play Sark's caller. a good coach. I mean, look, everything that happened at USC sucks. It was a lot of personal stuff. Um, I, I I think by all accounts, everyone that has talked to him, I'm a huge Sark fan, so I'll just say that. I like Sark. I think he's a great coach. And you know, as long as all the other stuff is, is good to go, I can't imagine he's not going to have other opportunities. And he has had, like, he turned down a chance to, to get in it for Mississippi State. He probably could have been the Colorado head coach last year, turned down both. I think South Carolina is really interested. You know, keep in mind, uh, Ryan Day, 
elevated from Ohio State has done really well. Lincoln Riley, elevated under Bob Stoops, has done really well. Sometimes if you have a guy, and it's different with him, is that, that Sark, now Sark did have as different issues, but Sark also has head coaching experience. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if he said, you know what, I'm good here. Maybe it'll be three years, who knows. Um, but I, I want to see where this goes because it's not like you know, he's compensated well. He's learning under Nick Saban and he could end up with a, with a huge job in the process. Okay, Luke Fickle, will he turn down the Michigan job if he's offered because of his Ohio State ties? Yeah, I, I, from, my, from what I've heard, I think he would. I think he is so Buckeye through and through that he just couldn't do it. So what does that mean for Harbaugh? Uh, I think it, again, I think with Harbaugh, it's hard to know who do they hire, who they think is a sure thing that makes them confident that, that he can get it done. And, you know, does Matt Campbell want that job? Matt Campbell makes a lot of sense. I just don't know if he wants to be the Michigan head coach. I mean, and then I had this in the column this morning, like Jeff Halfley's done a really good job at BC. He did a people great love job. that guy, by the way. Yeah, like, I, I hear people complimenting him all the time, like just behind he, the scenes and stuff. He did a great job as Ohio State's defensive coordinator last year. He fixed a lot of stuff, and before that, he was known as a great recruiter. I mean, he's got big ties in the Northeast. I mean, he's done a really good job. I mean, they had Clemson, you know, giving Clemson all they could handle before Notre Dame beat them, and so the question is. You only got one year of sample size with Jeff Halfley as a head coach. That's a big leap. But if, if I'm Michigan and I'm having to make a list, I would definitely look at Jeff Halfley long before I would look at, say, P.J. Fleck or, you know, somebody like whose name is out there more, right? So <laughs> well, you don't have to ask for my vote on that one. No, I know. I, I mean, <laughs> it's like asking Stanford Steve about certain coaches. Yeah, but at least Steve can, you know, his his big thing, getting to know Steve over the years, I'd be like, why do you hate them so much? And then he would tell a recruiting story. Like he, he to this day, hates Penn State because the way they recruited him. And I don't really blame him because he was like a high school kid at the time. I'm like, yeah, but none of those people are there anymore. He's like, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, my Fleck didn't, certainly didn't recruit me. I deserve to be recruited for nothing. <laughs> uh, I feel like there's one other, you know, whenever the Venables thing comes up, I really do feel like he's so different and like, it makes sense. Hey, maybe the best defensive coordinator we've seen in one place in a decade. Uh, mm -hmm. It'd be hard to argue against that. Um, he's that good. He's also paid that well. His sons are on the team and normally that profile, you know, once the sons move on and all that kind of stuff, uh, you would expect that he would just want to be a head coach at some point. All of these guys want to run their own programs at some point. And yet, whenever I ask about him, people are like, hey, he's just a little different. He's just a little different this way. And as long as Clemson keeps paying him, he might be happy to just stay in the same role. Is, is that fair? Or do you get the sense that he's actually going to want to try to run his own place? I think that's fair. I mean, I, he's had decent power five job opportunities that he has declined. And where he's known the people involved and they're not bad jobs. But as you said, you know, both his sons are there. You know, he's well-respected. He's obviously well-paid. Uh, having said all that, he coached at Oklahoma. He played at K-State. You know, again, if I'm Chris Del Conte, he would be the one assistant coach who I would really think a lot about because he has a reputation as being a really good recruiter. As you said, 
Um, he's a great defensive coach. I was with LSU when they were preparing for that game against Clemson, and he just causes problems because he does a lot of really manipulative stuff for the quarterback to deal with, and he's aggressive. And, you know, like even talking to Dave Aranda during the year about, like, you know, Brent Venables plays off having a really good offense because he can be really aggressive. You know, and I, it, it's one you're not hiring the, him though to be the defensive coordinator. And you know, Gary Patterson's his own defensive coordinator. And it's worked really well, but for the most part, most guys aren't that way, right? They're they delegate it. So I think there's the challenge. I mean, I also think if you're Venables, he's still very vibrant. I don't want to say you know he's not young like 35 young, but he's still nobody thinks oh is that guy 59 or whatever you know. No. No, yeah. I mean, he's actually insane on the side. Yeah, and he's so super high energy. Energy's never going to be an issue. Yeah, but it's like at one point you start, it, the perception starts to become your Bud Foster, which is no disrespect, but after a while it's like, wait, does that guy even want to be a head coach because he's so good at what he does? And usually people think the next step up is to be a head coach. I don't think Venables is at that point persona or perception-wise, especially with his kids there. But again, I don't, it definitely wouldn't hurt to ask because I think he is really that good. And I think he's more than just like, there's some guys who are just scheme guys. I mean, he's a really good recruiter. I think he's really well-respected by people in the program. He has, he, if he really wants to be a head coach, there's nothing that should be stopping him. That's Bruce Feldman. You can read all of his work at the athletic and check him out on Fox sports as well. Thanks, man. Always a pleasure, Ryan. Thank you. We will get to life advice, but first, we'll get to Miller Lite advice. Get it? 2020 is the year of cancellations, and as the holidays arrive, we'll be saying farewell to one more tradition, work holiday parties. But as it turns out, most of us never really liked those parties anyway, and with work parties canceled, we could get something we actually want for the holidays, more time with our real friends, or as we call it, Miller time. Work holiday parties um, are great when you're younger because you're stupid and you don't care and then you get a little bit older, and then you're probably horrified by your younger self. Um, I never had the corporate thing enough where ESPN had canceled the Christmas, the legendary Christmas party by the time I got there. And when I was younger, bartending holiday parties, no one cares because it's just you're all bartenders anyway, so the, the rules don't really apply. And trust me, the Miller Lights did flow. Take away the forced fun of work holiday parties, and what you have left is Miller time with the people who you actually want to have a beer with. To give work holiday parties a proper send-off, Miller Lite is teaming up with visual artist Alex Prager for a full exhibit called Farewell Work Holiday Parties. Why? Nothing says farewell to an old tradition like seeing it in a museum. To celebrate all that extra Miller time with your real friends this season, this is actually really funny, whether it's virtual or not, Get great tasting, less filling Miller Lite delivered by going to MillerLite.com and find the delivery options near you. Tis Miller time. And if you're in L.A., check out Farewell Work Holiday Parties, the exhibit at the LACMA. That's the Los Angeles County Museum of Art this season, November 21st, January 7th. Well, it looks like I have a plan this Friday. Celebrate responsibly Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. 
The first life advice, again, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. The first one, our man checking in here, uh, long time, love the show. Okay, got it. I'm a 32-year-old CPA living in the South, accountant. I've been in public accounting for about 10 years and have recently become a partner at my firm. Well, shout out to you at 32, partner. I am proud of my accomplishments at my age, but certainly have more goals in mind. Okay, you know, I'm the prize. My question relates to dealing with people who are completely wrong about a topic or feel as though they know all, all aspects of a complex issue. There are a few topics that are less fun to riff about during a cocktail party or tailgate than the U.S. tax code, but inevitably acquaintances constantly want to discuss it with me and, of course, pick my brain. I consider myself a very normal dude, 32, married with a child, on the way, own my home, big time sports fan, love golf, etc. There are plenty of topics I can make uh, small talk over, but constantly the topic slowly drifts over to taxes. The worst part is biting my tongue when someone is completely convinced they've found the cheat code and want to tell me about it. This is the equivalent of the cap always goes up guy for you. All right. In my mid twenties, I felt like I handled this kind of buffoonery better and I'm catching myself sounding like a bit of a know-it-all or even an ass in my responses. It is getting harder and harder for me to not correct people as they spread totally false information. As I look back now, I've grown my professional network. A ton of them have come from these casual conversations over the years. And I believe being a normal dude in a pretty nerdy field has been incredibly beneficial. I would agree. That's a good acknowledgement there. There's a very effective way to build a business in the South, but being the asshole at the tailgate who told Joe Spitcup creating an LLC to buy a boat for a tax write-off is a ridiculous idea. And it's probably not the way to accomplish that. How do you handle people with horrible ideas or perspectives on topics you know a lot about? Can you really just bite your tongue if someone came up to you at a party and brag about their favorite NBA team and just gain this super valuable trade exception? How would you respond? Thanks. Love the show. Okay. This is really good because it speaks to definitely part of my profession that isn't always the best, but you don't want to come off like a jerk and say, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have to talk with anybody about sports because I'm such a sports genius. I, I granted there's like a decent number of you that still think I don't have a fucking clue about anything that I'm talking about, um, despite all the work that you put into it. And you just kind of tell. It's kind of like watching somebody dribble a basketball. Within two seconds, you go, okay, this guy played or can't play. And for me, I can usually tell within a few seconds what the depth of knowledge will be for this person and whatever sports topic they're asking me about. And I'm sure the exact same thing happens to you. And honestly, there's a bunch of you now listening, whether you're in insurance or education, whatever it is, uh, people... People want to connect. This isn't even just about these these subjects. It's the desire to connect. Because you know what no one does in a conversation? Oh, hey, what do you do? Well, I'm in real estate. Oh, I don't know anything about real estate. So I'm just going to sit this one out. That doesn't happen. You know, whether it's the person who wants to buy a home or has bought a home, that doesn't make you a real estate expert. You know, I'm not a chef because I pick out stuff. I'm actually a decent cook, but you know what I'm saying? Like you can like food, but it doesn't make you a chef. And you can like sports, but it doesn't mean you actually know what you're talking about all the time. So when you're about to enter a tax conversation with an actual accountant, although let's be careful and not talk about taxes because that's not cool. Um, there's You're never going to meet, you're rarely ever going to meet anyone that can ever be on your level. And not only is it the human desire to connect on these topics, because that's just what people do. I think it's actually kind of a nicer thing, even though it's annoying and it's driving you crazy. And all of you right now that are in your field, when somebody's at a cocktail party talking about your field and you're just like, this guy sounds like an asshole. It's probably better than someone saying, I'm not interested in this at all. Like it's just small talk. And that's what people like to do. We like to gossip. We'd like to spread the word on something. Um, you know, this is, this is like very, this goes back to like that sapien stuff where gossiping became the main reason we're this upright, uh, 
I don't know, 8 billion people now. All right. So you're going to have to do, I would say, just do this. You're just going to have to bite the tongue for the rest of your life and know, because it's never going to stop happening. So you can drive yourself fucking crazy by correcting everyone all of the time, or you're just going to have to learn how to adapt to it because you still are representing yourself. You're representing a business and you don't want to be like a jerk about it. Like I had a thing, I forget, it was, was it like a Christmas ago or something? I was out with some friends and this guy was just on. He was going to hound me. He was going to hound me the whole time. I could just tell. And it was on and on and on. And it was the million basketball questions. And I was trying to be nice because he was a friend of a friend. And I could see that he was excited to meet me. And I took the picture and I did the whole thing. And it went on and on. And dude, we're talking like over 20 minutes. And he was following me around at like different spots that we were hanging out in. And finally, I was like, hey, look, look, man, you're actually not remotely interested in any of my answers. You only want to tell me all the things that you think about sports and you're hoping that I agree with you. So somehow that's validation of you. And that if a couple things broke a different way, then maybe you'd have my career. Like I've seen this a million times. I already know what you're doing. I can see it. And like, you got to understand I'm, I'm here with my friends and this isn't quiz night. You want like, this isn't you quiz me all night. And I think that I gave him 20 minutes is probably a long amount of time, but I can't do that. 30 seconds in with people for the rest of my life because I drive myself crazy. So why do you have to correct everyone? All right. So the simplest part of this is I know it's annoying. And because you're somebody that works in money and they're going to always think that you have some tip and saving them money. And that's, that's the way that it works. But just because you're a partner 32 doesn't mean that you're not still making first impressions in a small town, a town I know pretty well. I would, I would say you're just going to have to learn to, to, to move on because here's what's more, it's going to be way more annoying for you to try to correct everyone all the time. Because that's the other thing is people don't want to be corrected. Even when they know they have no depth on the topic whatsoever, you know, I'll run into somebody that'll say like, you know, I can't believe, um, I don't know. I'm, tr- I'm trying to use like a good example that everybody would, would understand here. Like, oh, hey, I can't believe Anthony Bennett wasn't better. Actually, that's that's too in-depth. But I'm just using that as an example. And somebody's like, oh, I, I can't believe Anthony Bennett wasn't better. But like, well, you know what? He was actually kind of hurt and he wasn't in great shape. And honestly, it was kind of a weird draft. And the team, the front office liked him. They liked that Canadian thing. And I don't know. And then the guy would say, well, you know, I don't know. And I'll be like, dude, I just gave you five answers. I just gave you five answers for why it didn't work. And I'm telling you, and I'm like, I know what happened. And I know you don't have access to information, but you're still going to argue with me about it. So if you want to keep correcting all these people, you're just going to drive yourself fucking crazy. So don't do that and just kind of nod and say, yeah, yeah, I never thought of it that way. And trust me, you'll save yourself a lot of stress. I think that cowherd commercial made it hard for you and everybody else like you when he's arguing with the dry cleaner about sports that just everybody, all, all of you just will do that forever. So I think it, I think it brought a lot more conversations your way. Do you know the commercial no, I'm talking about? Yeah, no, that commercial, <laughs> that commercial was great. Um, they ran, they actually used to run ESPN radio ads on TV. And then TV was like, all right, why are we doing this? Why are we giving ad space to radio promotion? Um, and, and I don't know. I don't know how any of that comes off because I don't, this is not a complaint. I have a great life. This is an, this is an awesome thing. But I, I guess I just, I the hope there's a lot of you nodding in whatever industry you're in is that the the instinct of the person that's uninformed is to try to make some sort of connection with you. Even if they like, I don't know, people have a hard time with admitting they're wrong, admitting they have no idea what they're talking about, um, changing their mind 
And all of these things, I believe, are connected to how people interact with with somebody that's an expert on somebody. And especially this guy emailing us. Like, you can probably tell this person how to better save their money. <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> that, yeah. What what better motivation to go ahead and, and pick the brain of a guy like that? Um, it's going to happen to you the rest of your life. And so you can stress out about it or just figure out a way to just go, hey, what what baseline of of this can I accept? You know, just keep changing the subject on them. Okay. Uh, all right. One quick, one more quick one here. This one's brutal. Hey, my name's, uh, boy, <laughs> we're not going to, he's from Nebraska. We'll just say that because I've got a dilemma. Um, I'm 30. I've never been called ugly in my life. But my dad bought a start to creep up, pick up ball legend around here. Shout out. Uh, anyway, my problem is I have an awesome woman, honestly, perfect in almost every way. And I'm 30. So it's about time I leave the game and settle down. If I want kids, she seems like the perfect person to start a life with just one problem while going through her phone. I know invasion of privacy to center fantasy lineup. So you went through her phone to set her fantasy lineup. Um, but then, okay, he admits, he's like, I just went to her videos in her phone and saw a sex tape with an X. You, <laughs> For some reason, I clicked on it. Well, because you're already in her phone, so you were going to click on it anyway. Uh, I clicked on it, watched some of it. Now I can't get it out of my brain. It's throwing me off with her almost every way. She doesn't know I've seen it yet. I know everyone has a past, and I've been finding out more and more things that suggest she might um, have a little history before we met any suggestions of how to get over this or should I just cut bait and find someone else? Appreciate it. Uh, look, you look through her phone. So I, I honestly, I have a way bigger issue with you going through her phone than her, you know, having, uh, something going on with her ex, but yeah, you're not going to unsee that. So you're probably just going to have to break up. <laughs> sorry but think about this you'll be single and you'll be motivated to get back in shape and get rid of that dad bod life advice rr at gmail.com okay a great show thank you very much uh just because we were fired up to get vilma i'm just such a huge fan of his and so please subscribe rate and review the pod we'll be back we have an awesome book we might call it our house wednesdays instead of weird wednesdays now Oh wow! (laughs) because we've got cole hauser and we have this book that i read recently that I think a life advice email somehow ended up in my uh, my inbox that was suggesting a book and it had nothing to do with life advice. And so I read the book and it was incredible. And I'm, I'm hoping this interview with the author is going to be terrific. I think we're doing that. So maybe we'll start calling Art House Wednesdays. But that's when I start to forget basketball starts in three weeks, which I'm like, oh, that's that's right. We have basketball again. So we'll, uh, we'll figure it all out. Please have a great week. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving and got to see as much of their family as they could. And, uh, you know, as always, I appreciate the support of the pots. Thanks. Thanks.